Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From an Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with musician Alan Palomo, the man behind Neon Indian, about his score for the psychedelic depravity that is Joel Petrikas Relaxer. Breathe in. Relax. Now exhale. Let this masterpiece wash over you. You do not leave this couch until the challenge is completed. Challenge accepted. A meditation on the fine art of relaxation. You deserve this. What the fuck insanity. What is this script for? Two liter hands. Hand. Hands. Hand. Hands. Hand. Hands. Hand. Hands. Oh, you don't think I can drink all this shit? Open your mind to this unforgettable experience. Be in this moment. Wildly, happily, unique. It smells like fucking mouth farts up in here, dude. It's the damn Y2K, sweet chunks. I'm just gonna relax for a little while longer. Let go of the stress. It's giving Relaxer. A film by Joel Petrikas. Featuring original music by Neon Indian. <coughs> just fucking show me the money, dude. Look. You fucking seen Jerry Maguire? You know what I'm talking about? No. Show me the money. Fucking Thomas Cruise style. It, you should see it though, because it's got Jerry Cantrell from fucking Allison Chains in it. He plays like a fucking Kinko's uh, employee. If the movie Relaxer had a smell, it would be sweat on a vinyl couch, with a faint whiff of sour milk somewhere in the background. Y2K is on the horizon, and a sense of mild panic is palpable. If the greasy strangler left you uncomfortable, Relaxer will have you cringing. And yet, the film manages to achieve a hallucinatory buzz that washes over the viewer. Relaxer is fascinating and enveloping, and no small part of that is due to the music from Neon Indian, the electronic music project from Alan Palomo, who's no stranger to working with the sounds of previous decades. Neon Indian's most recent album, 2015's Vega International Night School, is awash in synthy 80s vibes, so it makes sense that Palomo would be able to get into a late 90s groove with no trouble. We spoke with Palomo by phone about his work on Relaxer, as well as Neon Indian's work on the video game Grand Theft Auto V. much for taking time out of your day to talk to me i really appreciate it like how would you i guess the first thing to ask is like how would you come to be involved with relaxer so um so i uh i have a few friends at a soul scope um one in particular is my friend dan uh berger who initially was the one who connected joel and i and um uh and you know uh i just obviously i'm a, a huge fan of 
oscilloscope and, and, and the work that they do. Um, I hadn't actually, I mean, I, I, it's, I had heard about Buzzard and I had read about it and there were friends of mine, uh, who were uh, big fans of Joel Petrykis, but, um, but I actually, for me, it was just kind of like, you know, just getting sent a, a, a very, you know, kind of preliminary rough cut. And that was my introduction to his whole world, which was, uh, pretty wild you know because i guess not having been uh previously introduced to the logic system of his films and understanding just kind of the language and the type of characters it was just like a, a full unadulterated dose of joel <laughs> watching that movie for the first time uh which was which was cool um you know i i think it was one of those things where the premise alone kind of had me hooked and it was such an audacious idea uh, that it seemed to lend itself at the very least, you know, to, um, uh, to the palette that I've worked in sonically before, you know, and even just the fact that so much of it was kind of based around this like antiquated video game, you know, and it kind of being about this sort of parallel reality, uh, you know, that's already in the past, but in some ways, I guess it was intended to feel futuristic, um, or dystopic at least, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it seemed aesthetically like a really good fit and I wanted to work on it. And then from there I had to kind of familiarize myself more with his filmography. Um, but the irony is that, you know, I mean, this is the first, uh, the first of his films that has a score, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was curious to see, you know, just, uh, what Joel had in mind is kind of being the first, um, incorporation of that element in any of his work so when when you're composing the score for the film like did you consider the era in which relaxer is set and or like pac-man as uh anything when you were composing well it's funny because i mean there's something kind of anachronistic about it in the sense of like, I love watching period pieces uh, from other decades, you know? Like, a, like a 90s interpretation of the 70s is different from, like, a 2010s interpretation of the 70s. There's always going to be some layer of abstraction that it undergoes. And for me, it was kind of, you know, the, uh, the, the, the starting point was being like, well, it's not just Pac-Man, which is from the, you know, it's an early 80s video game, but it's also... You know, the idea would be that he's playing this, like, you know, this, like, shitty shitty legacy edition of Pac-Man <laughs> on his current console, which happens to also be taking place in the late 90s. So that part of it's just like, all right, you know, I've, uh, I, had, I had done a bit of um, kind of, like, 8-bit chiptune composing on my second record, or at the very least I was trying to incorporate those elements and use it to make, like, shoegaze. Um, and, uh, and I had bought in particular this one synthesizer called the SID station, which is essentially, uh, an old, uh, SID chip that, you know, it's the, uh, the sound card from the Commodore 64, mm -hmm. but had been kind of converted into this, uh, um, into this, uh, polyphonic synthesizer. And I got it specifically for that sophomore album and it kind of just sat there for a long time. You know, it had kind of found its use, but I knew that I'd always wanted to bring it back for something. Um, 
and uh, and this project was kind of this perfect alignment because you know it wasn't like I was making it on a Commodore 64. It was it was from an instrument from the late 90s, uh, and the timelines just happened to sync up perfectly. What I find really interesting ab- about like that whole approach is I was talking with <clears throat> I was talking with an author on Friday, and he's doing a lot of research right now for a project that he's doing that's like set in the 90s and so he's watching like he's like reading things and watching things like not for any specific like elements but just like the overall aesthetic and that seems like like that seems like very much like the approach you were going for which is like this retro like you're you're going for the idea of the late 90s as opposed to like specific musical elements yeah and i mean to some extent like it almost seems to build upon the way in which he incorporated sound design in his previous film um the alchemist cookbook uh in that there's no you know there's there's very few traditional cues there's a lot of just uh auxiliary soundscapes that are just meant to kind of heighten you know certain feelings throughout the film uh, and it's so there's always something droning in the background. So that to me felt more synonymous with the idea of hearing console elements playing, you know, in the background. But those to me seem to to, to kind of, you know, be more steeped in '90s nostalgia than just the action, than just like writing like a chiptune composition, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and you know, it's, there's always going to be some element of like of wanting to, uh, I guess, contemporize could be the wrong word, but um, you know sort of framing it in this context of like you're wa- you're still watching this film you know which is coming out in 2019 but it's about you know it's like we're there's a certain self-awareness about there being you know some parallel universe split uh you know that would have happened sometime in the past so it's like you're kind of i mean it almost becomes fantasy at that point you know in that you're like interpreting something that you know that is no longer even historical it's just like a, a whole other tangent and I think that that sort of freed me up to uh, to not be so specifically, you know, stuck in the context of just making like, you know, 80s chiptune or, or, or some sort of 90s nostalgia music, you know. And especially because, the, you know, I feel like the, the 90s nostalgia is so prevalent in film right now. Yeah. You know, everyone seems to kind of be obsessed with revisiting, you know, like Larry Clark skater aesthetics and... Uh, and I didn't necessarily want to go in that direction either. I wanted it to be something that felt new but certainly you know uh incorporating uh the storyline and the context of it you know into into i guess the palette well i was i was going to ask like how the approach to scoring relaxer differed or was similar to the last film you scored everything beautiful is far away but i i guess considering sort of like the vaguely futuristic kind of post-apocalyptic nature of that film i would i be right or wrong in assuming that like there were some elements that were similar um i think the the approach was very different in that um for everything beautiful is far away i you know i had talked to that director about that project for a few years before it even um went into uh, principal photography um, just because, you know, Pete had, I mean, I guess speaking of video games, he had, uh, he directed a video for my first band, Ghost Hustler, um, 
which was kind of this riff on the you know the Nintendo Power Glove and it kind of terrorizing a bunch of people in a parking lot at night. Um, so when it came time to work on uh, Everything Beautiful, um, you know we we had pretty much hashed out uh, much of what we thought the score was going to be. You know I would send him a lot of music, uh, and then um, and by 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 music I just mean like things that his script sort of reminded me of, or things that maybe could be useful for him to be listening to as he's making the film. Uh, and stuff that eventually wound up in the temp score. Um, and a lot of it was like, I think most of the stuff that he went with seemed to be um, this like 70s or 80s modular electronic music, uh, you know, that was like um, stuff like Tomita, mm. uh, where a lot of it's primarily covers of Eric Satie or, you know, um, or uh, Debussy or, you know, just kind of these these whimsical electronic renditions of, of just like uh, of these, you know, canonical classical pieces. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that it's just like, well, you know, that's fine and all, but reverse engineering Eric Satie's <laughs> like not as easy as it sounds. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest challenge there was just writing like, was just writing classical compositions. The palette, you know, was, was not that, wasn't that difficult to assemble because it was it was something that I knew you know was uh, kind of already operating within the lane of, of things I've done in the past or uh, you know or, or or at least I knew that I had instruments that would that would that would be a good fit you know for that story. Um, I did wind up using a lot of Super Nintendo sounds. Um, I had this whole uh, s- sample pack of like the orchestral sounds you know uh, from. Uh, just like classic RPGs. And I kind of pitched that to Pete just in that, you know, it was like, well, uh, you know, your film is inherently a, a quest film and it wouldn't be all that dissimilar from something like a Final Fantasy, you know, um, or a fantasy star or something. So I wound up using a lot of those elements, but, you know, steeping them in all this like um, reverb and distortion and things that would maybe give them a slightly more organic element, um, so it kind of being, you know, it kind of wanted being this like marriage uh, of once again this like kind of video game aesthetic with some, with something that's going to give it that anachronistic sort of lost in time kind of sound. Um, but also, you know, so then flash forward to Relaxer, though the palette approach was somewhat similar uh, with Joel, it was actually just like. Um, there were a few specific cues that he wanted to land, but otherwise it was pretty open. You know, I wanted doing a, uh, doing a lot of sound design components as well. Just like I wanted to try to, you know, give him a uh, you know sort of a a, a a library of sounds that he could incorporate. You know, for what the te- uh, you know what the telekinesis might sound like. Um, what the apocalypse sequence might sound like and uh, and just, you know, um, just general soundscape stuff. And he wound up just kind of, you know, throwing it in this blender <laughs> and everything wound up in, in different places. You know, there's very few things I wrote for a specific scene that actually wound up there, you know, which is kind of cool. I mean, in the end, I think it was just about creating a surplus of, of, of music, you know, for him to... Uh, kind of refabricate into this more experimental score. So yeah, it was a bit more uh, 
nebulous going in. You know, I didn't really, I, I didn't really see the finished product until I didn't really know what the finished product was going to be until I went to go see it in Austin. Speaking of music videos, has having like directed or co-directed like a couple of your own music videos given you like any sort of insight into the combining of like music and imagery? I mean, definitely. I'll say that music videos are a little bit easier uh, in the sense that you know the editing, um, the editing very much so lends itself to. Uh, this like rhythmic style, you know, there's nothing easier than like cutting to a beat. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it's really fun to do that because you try to come up with all these little punctuations and match cuts and things that, you know, that are there to just kind of heighten the feeling of listening to the song itself. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the music video is meant to be a, a platform or a vehicle for the song, but you can have a lot of fun, you know, kind of playing director and, 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 and uh, incorporating as much, you know, sort of uh, eye candy and narrative, and and you know, just kind of general. You know, I hate the word pizzazz, but that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what it's there for. You know, and you know, I feel like um, scoring for film is a little bit different. I mean, I think that uh, as a composer, you kind of got to surrender a lot of ego. You're there to service the film. You know, you're ultimately uh, another cog in this larger construct that's trying to make the best movie possible. Um, and uh, and you might have a lot, you know, you might walk in with a lot of ideas, but at the end of the day, the director's going to be the one who, um, you know, who dictates which of those ideas are, are, you know, relevant and might even, you know, take, uh, it, it might even, you know, change the placement or the order, you know, by which those ideas appear. Um, and that's cool. I mean, it's always, it, it kind of, it, 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 uh, creates a certain element of mystery, um, in, in the process that, so, you know, that, that makes the, the finished product all that much more fun to watch. Um, it's funny. I mean, for me, music videos were kind of, I had worked with a lot of directors that I really admired, uh, and I was always kind of working as just kind of like aesthetic middleman. Um, you know, like sort of uh, setting the goalposts for, you know, what it could and couldn't be in order for it to be contained within the Neon Indian brand. Um, but when I started directing the videos, it kind of suddenly became a carte blanche to to create this visual aid to that whole universe. Um, and uh, it's cool because, I mean, the last record in particular was kind of meant to be this homage to, you know, uh, nocturnal new york and and just how that's been represented in cinema and how directors love to mythologize uh new york and 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 all of its different incarnations uh and i and for me like those music videos were, were kind of meant to be the you know um the 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 literal accompaniment you know like it it it, it, it was always something where it's like 
as I was making the record, it's like, man, I wish that people could see the film that I imagine this, <laughs> you know, being the score to. And I guess at the very least, if I can, you know, make these cinematic music videos that uh, that are just finally meant to show you that world, then, you know, why not take the opportunity to do that? Um, and then eventually that led to, you know, making a, a short film that was like the final recapitulation of that whole, you know, 80s New York neon universe. The thing I always like to ask, like when <clears throat> I get a chance to talk to artists about like soundtracks and things like that is like, what's it like? hear like especially like artists who have like music in film soundtracks and stuff like that is like what's it like hearing your music like used to soundtrack somebody else's vision to see somebody else's reinterpretation of that but like what i find fascinating is like neon indian had like two songs in grand theft auto 5 and i'm just I don't get to talk to like bands that have music and video games that often. So I'm like kind of fascinated by that like idea of like, did you get to play the game and then like hear your song come on a radio station? And Yeah. I mean, it's funny because those guys were, you know, they, they had a, they had a vision for that game that very much so was, you know, um, that, that was paying heavy tribute to cinema you know, they sent me a lot of film references and you see it. It's like, obviously, you know, there's a lot of Michael Mann in, in, you know, Grand Theft Auto. There's definitely a lot of heat. There's a lot of thief, you know, uh, they specifically, what they sent me was, uh, one of the Wang Chung songs from the To Live and Die in LA soundtrack, <laughs> which is again, another, you know, something that when you, when you watch those things in tandem, you realize how much it, it it's been influenced by, uh, and when I wrote that song, Change of Coast, it was kind of just trying to tap into that vibe, you know, because those films very much so uh, convey a, a, a feeling of, of you know, uh, L.A. noir that is, is it's kind of inimitable. It's very much so its own thing. And, um, and you know, though now I feel like people are kind of... Uh, uh, now I feel like it's becoming a, a, a bit more trendy in cinema, you know, with movies like Drive, um, mm-hmm. to you know, or or even this upcoming Under the Silver Lake, you know, to 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 see L.A. as its own sort of city of mysteries, you know, it's uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, it just it it felt like they had a very specific vision, which was to tap into you know just kind of the pantheon of of, of L.A. film, and uh, and I think in that in that regard they they succeeded because it was. Super well researched, and uh, you know the references were very on point. I mean, I was really just kind of, I was brought in as a mercenary just to do this very specific task of like writing this song, um, and uh, and it was super fun because I'd never done something like that. You know, I mean, I love the idea of even just like incorporating the title of a film into a song into a hook. <laughs> you know, like you listen to the song "To Live and Die in L.A." by Wang Chung, and it it. By any you know, by any means, should not work. It should be a, a just a total fucking cheese ball track. But it's an it's an epic jam, you know, and uh, and it's a testament to their talent, you know. Um, so, Change of Coast very much so felt like uh, uh, a, a a specific you know nod to this idea of like trying to incorporate the plot of something into your music, which is not always easy to do. It's hard to just like write narrative songs 
you know, songs always kind of seem to be these like, you know, these like kind of like variations on a feeling, you know, or and that feeling will typically be conveyed in whatever this hook, you know, or whatever the chorus of the song is and and uh, you know, incorporating specific like storytelling elements is like is always kind of a challenge, you know. So uh so I kind of jumped at the opportunity to 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 do that, you know, that track for Grand Theft Auto. Um, but I had no idea it was going to be the, the cultural phenomenon <laughs> that it was. I mean, that, that game's still going strong, you know? Um, and, uh, and they wound up, uh, licensing Polish Girl, you know, actually sometime after the initial, uh, you know, that initial change of coast track. I think because the game had been around for so long, they kind of wanted to change the music a bit. Uh, and, um, uh, and yeah, I was happy to you know lend them another tune. No, it's it, it it's very perfect. I mean that you know like one of the things that they used was Michael Mann's Thief because you know like that's got a Tangerine Dream score and Tangerine Dream did part of the music for Grand Theft Auto Five and that's just a very nice dovetailing of making everything work. Totally, absolutely. This film is coming out in like two days. Um, like what's next? Are there, you know, going to be, is there going to be like a, like a release of the relaxer score? No. Um, well, there's no, there's no set plans to do that, uh, at the moment. Um, I think because it is kind of, you know, I, I've, I've been toying with the notion of, of refabricating it into something that would be more of just like a palatable listen, start to finish. (laughs) Yeah. Um, otherwise, because it's so just kind of, soundscape heavy and not necessarily just like uh you know these like um set compositions uh but i mean i know that it you know uh i know that it's going to be um i mean it's going to have its theatrical run very soon and then it's going to wind up on streaming i think in june um but uh but yeah i mean Who's to say, you know, I'm still possibly planning on putting out the Everything Beautiful soundtrack. So, you know, I'm still, uh, it's funny, after every film score, I got to go back to my my day job, (laughs) you know, being some dude in a band. Uh, So I've been uh, working on my record, but but that's not to say that, uh, uh, you know, that a a release uh, could come out in the future or couldn't come out in the future. Awesome. Well, Alan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks to Alan Paloma for speaking with me. You can find more information about Neon Indian on Facebook and Twitter at Neon Indian, as well as at the band's website, neonindian.com. Relaxer is playing select dates now, and you can find them via Oscilloscope Films' website at oscilloscope.net. 
You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromandinspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcast and Stitcher as well. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcast and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks talking the Christmas slasher Ugly Sweater Party with Omichita's Roman Kavalik. Until then, thanks for listening.